Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Welcome everybody to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. Yes, um, my throat still isn't better. It's slightly better. I'm trying to do it, but I, I, it does sound sexier. Um, if you, <laughs> if you want to touch yourself while you're listening to this, please feel free. <laughs> um, as long as I don't know about it. That's okay. I don't want to feel violated. I'm not just a piece of meat here for all of your consumption. <laughs> but in any case, okay. speaking of pieces of meat, uh, the guest today we have, right, is uh, somebody that I met in person, actually, um, just very recently for the first time. And he's a lot taller in person, I just found. And he had he had a very good height. And I think I complimented him a little too much on his height. Hey, anyway, I should shut up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. And if he... If you wanna, if you wanna know about this guy, this is obviously for anybody who's in the ex-Muslim scene. Everybody knows about Abdullah Samir. Abdullah Samir is like the star YouTuber. Um, he was a Dawa guy. He was an Islamic preacher for the last fifteen years or so, um, and uh, he started a website called Light Upon Light that uh, is actually you know one of the most popular websites for Islamic Dawa videos. That's Invitation for Islam, proselytization. And now, if you go on it, I'm just going to ask you guys, if you're around, don't do this while you're driving. Um, it's lightuponlight.com, and just go there. And it's amazing, because you go there, and it's this popular Islamic website. Now, this pop-up shows up that says, Dear brothers and sisters, after running the site for many years, I have left Islam. Would you like to read more? And then it directs it to his actual <laughs> website now. And since then, he started a YouTube channel. His first video has, like, wait, how many views is it? Are, are yeah, now over a million. Uh, we use now for some reason. Yeah, it went did pretty. It's doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, so it went viral, and it's a, it's a it's a fantastic video, and he continues to bring out content. And I I wanted to get Abdullah on with uh, myself and Armin. Armin, I didn't introduce you this time. You must be so happy about that. Mm, yeah, it's fine. So As usually <laughs> just say Armin. Yeah, I'm just gonna yeah just to um, slightly correct one thing. Um, okay. I don't refer to myself as an Islamic preacher because I wasn't per se like, even though I did give like khutbahs or speeches in the mosque from time to time, I was more like an Islamic activist or someone that was in, like, you know, making websites, helping, you know, sheikhs build websites and doing you're that. Taking, what, uh, you're taking the official definitions of what's uh, <laughs> considered a preacher by Muslims too seriously. They that, themselves, yeah. Don't, yeah, you're taking their, you know, Credentials right. too seriously. Like they right. actually, you're being yeah. too literal with the interpretation of the word uh, preacher. You have to be a little bit more metaphorical about it, <laughs> which <laughs> brings like, us. No, to but the you know that, you know how many self-proclaimed preachers are out there or imams and stuff. So it's very interesting that as an ex-Muslim, you are take uh, you are careful not to call yourself a preacher, even though there are many people Muslims out there. <laughs> <laughs> that do consider themselves preacher with that, yeah. But yeah, they constantly, was, a lot of these yes. preachers constantly accuse each other of like, "Hey, you're not an actually preacher. I have a degree. I have a fucking degree. Like you don't like something." Yeah, go on. No, but what Abdullah Samir is doing right now is uh, auto takfir. 
from um, <laughs> the realm of preacherdom. I think that's, that's no, but yeah. I, just being humble. Fair, fair I just point. I don't want to yeah. take credit for being some sort of imam or something. I, I now I, he's I, comparing himself exactly to one of it. the four four uh, you know the madhabs of the school of the <laughs> humble. Imam Humble was uh, one of the... Okay, that was a terrible joke. Humble, he was being humble. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> For those who didn't get it, just look it up. Anyway. Um, so, okay, granted. not, But you were a Dawah guy, and you still, you're very an Islamic activist for 15 yes. years. Yes. Uh, you started these websites, got a lot of people on them, and then you basically just dumped them all, broke all their hearts and their foreskins, and uh, you took off, and you became uh, an atheist, and you left Islam, and uh, now you're here on the Secular Jihadist podcast with myself and Armin Navabi, the author for of the Why Second There Is No God. For the second time, yes, and it's oh, a yeah. pleasure. Yeah, it was. It was this great. is the second coming of uh, Abdullah Samir. We're yeah. broadcasting from Jerusalem. So, right. I, yeah. So here's why we're now. Let's actually get to the topic before everybody yes, leaves. Please. Yes, I think we lost. I think we lost half our audience. I was well, going to lose them now with the topic we're talking about right now because All right, go when on, I was start. reading about this, yeah, yeah, I felt like killing myself. Me and too, saying, man. You, s- you no. sent me this. You sent me this article, man. I I read it. It, it made me so angry. I wanted to punch my screen. You sent me this article from New- for New York Times to prepare me for this episode. <laughs> this is ho- ho- this is horse shit. Okay, well, let me, can I talk about what it is? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not that angry. I actually thought it was uh, <laughs> kind of... I was almost laughing half the way. So here it is. So what happened is uh, Karen Armstrong, if people don't know, she's a former nun, uh, and she writes about... She's basically a, a religious apologist. She apologizes for um, religion, essentially, and, and that includes Christianity, Islam, and so on. And she has written a new book, right? And uh, the new book is called The Lost Art of Scripture, Rescuing the Sacred Te- Texts, um, Karen Armstrong, and uh, this was reviewed in the New York Times by Nicholas Kristof, who, by the way, I absolutely love. He's actually one of my favorite writers, and I really like him. Anyway, but he wrote, uh, I completely disagreed with him in his review, where, where he was uh, basically glowing uh, about it. And we'll put a link to uh, his review in the, uh, in, in the description for this. So uh, he talked about how, you know, there are verses... In the Bible, for instance, you know, in the Bible, St. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. That's in the Bible. Right? In the Quran, it says, you know, that polytheists kill them wherever you encounter them. Right? So there are these verses. And the apologist argument is always there taken out of context. You know, you have to look at the historical time that this was done in. But at the same time, they also claim that these texts are sacred and timeless and infallible. In, in, a lot, in a lot of cases. Yeah, pick and one. Which one is wrong. it? Like, oh, these are timeless verses meant for all guiding all mankind. Oh, this is this 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 horrible verse here. This was supposed to be for that context of that people at the time. Like, okay, r- really, which one? Pick a side. If if uh, it's, it's, and it's very interesting because usually there are the same people that claim both. And if if yeah. it's just for that time, then can we just get rid of it? Then, like, as a guide to life, can we just like okay? You're admitting if you're saying, "Oh, this was for that time," then okay, great, I agree. Then fuck it, like we don't need it anymore. Uh, but if you're, that, if you're, isn't that what Christians say though? When with the Old Testament, they're saying that it's no longer. I don't know if they say it's no longer applicable per se, but they do say that Jesus came and 
you know, fulfill the the letter, the law, because because they don't they don't circumcise and they don't eat kosher. Yeah, meat. But, but that's a different thing. Uh, I think that's you know that's what Christians say about the Old Testament. This yeah. is something what what we're talking about is something a little bit different that non-religious people say in defense of religion often, right? Mm-hmm. Like people that don't actually believe in religion, but they don't like a- atheists that are not anti-theist really love hating on anti-theist atheists, right? Yeah. They're like, oh, I'm, I don't believe in God as well, but you guys are too militant. You're so hateful. Religion has its role in a society. You're taking these verses too literally. These were just verses. Oh, you think, oh, you think it's so bad? Look, Muhammad was bad. Well, all warlords were like this. Oh, raping and slavery. Oh, these were the norm at that time. You guys are being too, you know, what did you expect? Like, okay, fine. This was like the norm at the time, which... Sometimes it wasn't, uh, but then. Oh, but, but that's they also not, give that's, examples of norms. No, but let me like let me finish that he undid. Or, like, Ali, I was about to make a point. I was yeah, about to make ahead. the point. Yeah, like yeah, this is these were the norms at the time. The problem with religion is that it brings the norms of that time to now. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with religion. Yeah. We wouldn't have a problem with religion if all religious people looked at their scripture and were like, yeah, this was back then. The problem with scripture is that people don't, people don't, that's not what religion does. Nobody like Muslims and Christians don't come and like, oh yeah, Christianity and Islam are just the values of people 1400 years ago or 2000 years ago. That's what my religion is. Mm-hmm. No, and they're Abdullah, talking, you're gone. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, Abdullah, there's uh, also like, you know, when they say the Old Testament's expired, that's also an apologist argument that likes of which Karen Armstrong herself makes. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you if you actually read the New Testament, several places, including Matthew five seventeen through twenty, uh, it actually says that Christ, you know, he says, "I came here. This is not uh, that you know. This is I came here to fulfill the law. I have not come here to abolish the law." So yeah, he actually guys, endorses everything in the Old Testament. That was just a slight thing. But anyway, I want to start. I, hold on. Yes, I wanted to start by by quoting one paragraph from here that I think that we should go with because I think from the the book the parts of the book that I read and I, I didn't really go through the whole thing uh, admittedly and we're not here to talk about the book we're talking about we're here to talk about this basic thesis because it's not just the article, Armstrong New York Times the article let's just talk about the article New York yeah Times. yeah so um, so so here's one of the quotes from the book so this is a quote it says too many believers and non-believers alike now read these sacred texts in a doggedly literal manner that is quite different from the more inventive and mystical approach of pre-modern spirituality. Uh, so that's what she says. And she says, because its creation myths do not concur with recent scientific discoveries, militant atheists have condemned the Bible as a pack of lies, while Christian fundamentalists have developed a, quote, creation science, claiming that the book of Genesis is scientifically sound. Not surprisingly, all of this has given scripture a bad name. And my response to that, given scripture a bad name, the reason scripture has a bad name is because of what she said here. Because, you know, these are not, these creation myths, which she called myths herself, do not concur with scientific discoveries, right? It's because of that. No, but there, but no, her argument... And that's her, what makes it look bad. Her, She's saying her, we're trying to make it look bad by just because they don't 
fit with scientific discoveries, we're making it look bad. But we're not. They actually don't fit with scientific discoveries are reality. That's what the truth is. Scientific discoveries isn't like some sort of theoretical thing. It's a study of nature and observation of nature that you've stated that is a fact. So it's not like uh, it is basically religion over reality, right? So anyway. Yeah, okay, but, but her defense is that, you know, okay, you read it like that and you're comparing it with scientific discoveries and you think like, okay, that's not, that's, this is not uh, accurate. Or you, so you, there's two parts of the scripture I think that is being um, judged here, right? The, the claims and the commandments. The claims and the commandments, right? So the claims, this, the criticism is that the claims don't match the, the scientific understanding of the universe, and the commandments are just barbaric and horrid and you know violent yeah. and all that, right? So, the, but the thing is, she says the claims and the commandments, you're not supposed to read them literally. Like there's different ways of looking at it, and to that I say bullshit, absolutely bullshit. Even even if they were meant to be read a different way then the best thing you could say about them is that they were written very irresponsibly they were written very irresponsibly because for 1400 years and for 2000 years people got those messages out of them that you're claiming here that they shouldn't have been getting out of them like those messages that you're saying that that's how not they shouldn't be read well people got those messages ex because they got like you're saying this you're saying they should be written a different way but according to who according to you maybe they should be written they should be written a different way because you know if they read in the way that they were meant to then they, you don't like that message and you're trying to save the scripture so you're saying like no read it my way even though for hundreds of years people didn't read it your way so if they were meant to be read in a different way then they, then these are very irresponsible texts to have out there uh, that were written so poorly that for 1400 years people got it so wrong and got messages out of it that they were not supposed to get out of it. I mean, like, like the, the verse that says, like, hey, you know, beat your wife, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what am I supposed to get out of it? Like, okay, so fine, I'm reading, I'm reading it too literally. What, what is the intention? What is the purpose of that verse? Give me a context that makes that all good. Like, I don't understand the, the verse in the Bible that you she mentions herself. Oh, women should be silent. They shouldn't take position of authority. They should they should be obedient to their to their husbands. What am I supposed to do with that verse? Tell me a context. Tell me an interpretation of that that makes it all good. Like how am I supposed? Okay, oh, a scripture is fluid and it could have different meanings. Tell me how am I supposed to read that verse? But sorry, our guess. I I feel like um. She's so I've read her other book in full. Well, not quite in full. It's kind of hard to read. Ken Armstrong's books in full. <laughs> she likes them more like academic papers than like a book that you read. And the and you know the funny thing is if you look her up on Goodreads, uh, History of God. Even though I actually I, I actually thought it was a good book. That that one but, I like. Yeah. yeah. One of the biggest complaints was people are like it's hard to get through the whole book. It's just like. It's hard to academics. I think she does it on purpose to sound <laughs> to, to make it more complicated. Like they're simple sentences that if you just like I could like simplify it and make it readable for to most people. Yeah. And I just think like she just tried to make it more confusing just to be like to make like say like look I'm very smart and this is very complicated. I don't Even think that's, that's what academics do, honestly. Yeah, I, 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 came, I came from book. academia as well. Yeah. And that's right. the thing they hide behind language when they can take like really really simple Not shit. Not all make of it sound them. Profound. Some so, some of them. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So, Steven Pinker has written about this actually a lot. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say like, um, she you know she gets at this whole idea of, you know, she talk she doesn't I don't think she mentions the Trinity per se, but she talks about this whole idea of like God being unknowable, and how maybe she does mention the Trinity, and she says the fact that it's a contradiction, like it's illogical, like it's you can't make sense of it. She's like that is the sense in it, that it's supposed to confuse you and be like, okay, I can't get this, and. To her, I think her, you know, it's almost, I don't know if it's, this is what you call Gnosticism, where you're kind of like, to her, it's not about, you know, literal wisdom, but she's, you know, it's, it's like this Jordan Peterson stuff, where you're mm -hmm. like, yeah. you like, take some sort of general, I don't even really totally get it. Like, you know, you've elevated these books to some special level, and you've given them some special powers, and said, these books... Uh, like above any other books and obviously as atheists we don't buy that because I can't see that the Bible is any better than the Hobbit or anything else but then you know some people will even say okay well you can look at the Hobbit but then like that's not actually what they're saying they're actually saying specifically the Bible is this giant tome of wisdom Right, that, right, you know, so, my perspective is obviously all of these things that don't well, quite jive with. It's full of what Daniel Dennett calls deepities. Yeah, right? deepities. So, an example, uh, this is basically where you have a word, uh, you have a sentence or a claim that sounds that sounds true, uh, but they make it sound really like, for instance, uh, the phrase "love is just a word," right? Sounds amazing, like, well, love is just a word. Sounds like some shit you hear on Oprah. But really, it doesn't mean anything. Like, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't have any consequence. It's not really, implications of it aren't really true. You know, yeah. it's, so it's, it's uh, things like that. So when she's saying that the fact that a god is unknowable, that is the most, the fact that it's not something that, that's the thing, that is what's not really the thing. You know, like, these are yeah. things that... Uh, uh, that just See, the, don't make sense. I feel like this is just uh, more apology, just hiding behind bullshit the, jargon. The article itself compares it like to Shakespeare and some other works and says like nobody thinks those are true. Well, well yeah, because they never claimed to be true. They never. It was an understanding, like like as I was saying, like oh well, uh, you're re reading the Bible and taking it to literally, but like yeah. people read Harry Potter and they don't take it as truth. But yeah, but. There was an understanding that the writer of Harry Potter and the people that enjoy Harry Potter, they, from the very, you know, no, there was no claim that any of this is real. But the commandments and the claim claims of the Bible and the Quran were, from the very get-go, the understanding was these are claims about the nature of the universe. It wasn't like, here's something for your entertainment. That was not the... the like, are we pretending that that was, what the, you know, the commandments were meant to be followed. These were God's laws. They were the rules. They were not like, here's some sort of inspiration. You know, well, we're, saying, we're saying that if you commit adultery, you should be stoned. But that's not meant to... You're not meant to do it. You're just meant to take this stoning imagery and be inspired by it. I don't know how, but inspired so, by it to do what? 
Like, what the fuck? Like, how is this How is this being taken seriously? You know, these are, like, the stuff that I see in my Twitter feed and, I like, in response, I get annoyed and, like, these people are idiots. But then I, the reason why I get more angry seeing it here is because it's on the New York Times and it's being celebrated as a book, as a work of academia. These don't... The, on, on, even on Twitter, when I say that as these things are response, I think these people are idiots. But now you're seeing it being elevated to this level. It's just so... It's so annoying but go on sorry yeah i was gonna say well you know christoph in the article does does actually admit that he's you know he's skeptically pestered pastors about why mark doesn't mention the virgin birth or describe the resurrection like he's actually kind of questioning like well these are important things the virgin birth the resurrection but you don't find them in the earliest gospel but they have an answer to it the, the article has said, well, maybe the answer is that it's not meant to be taken so literally. The, yeah, they, that's Armstrong, their answer to everything. Yeah, uh, he's saying Armstrong's response to this is that you're misunderstanding scripture. But to give credit to the author of the article, he's actually questioning it too and saying, mm -hmm. well, this is, doesn't quite add up. And and that that's a good thing. Right? I mean, that's actually a good point he makes. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind, and I, I'm pretty sure that Ken Armstrong is probably coming from the same sort of co concept, um, something I've been thinking about as well. Um, I read a book by um, what's his name? It, it's it was called um, the book, The Righteous Mind. Um, and oh yeah, I've it, heard of that. Yeah, uh, Righteous Mind. Sorry, one second. My mind's going blank here. Yeah, Jonathan Haidt, and he talks about yeah. how you know, it, and you know, in, in Sapiens, he talks about this too. This this shared concept of this this shared belief that. You can Arari. have stories they unify and, you know, like religions can be empire builders, right? And so right. that's there, there is some value in religion to either to the leaders, you know, to a common, it, it, it can be used to build a common identity. But the interesting thing that Jonathan Haidt said, this, is, this was cool, this was really interesting. He says that they did studies to try to isolate what was it in the religion that was binding people and, and making them more generous and more charitable and kinder to the in-group, so people of the, the same religion, let's say, right? And they found out, based on the survey, that it wasn't belief in the hereafter. It wasn't doing acts of worship, like, for example, going to church. Mm. It was literally being fellow members of the same group. So Community. the same thing, Yeah, and the same thing applies, he said, to being in a... In a uh, marching in a, in an army, um, to being part of a football team. This this and he, and Jonathan Hyde actually says that we are ninety five. I hope I'm not getting the percentage wrong. Ninety five percent chimp and five percent bee. The five percent bee is this hive sort of thinking where, you know, we we have this tribal mindset and and right. This is where the group selection comes in. Where where at some level. You know, it we actually have these instincts to, to to take care of the group, and and so he was he was arguing that it can be used for good too. Now, obviously, well, good for who? Good for the empire, or but uh, but the thing the is that overall, not necessarily, yeah, you know, not necessarily the individual, but it could also be beneficial for the individual because it could provide security. The thing is that just like you mentioned, there are other examples of the, how this could be achieved. The problem with religion is. You know, not that it provides these services. The problem with religion is that it comes and monopolizes these services and it removes the opportunity for other ways of achieving the same things while coming up with a lot of toxic things 
you know that is included that is part of the package because mm -hmm. you just mentioned a couple you know one example that is you know this has been achieved in many many other ways mm -hmm. other than religion right like you have a sense of community in non-religious communities as well people find ways to unite find ways to create groups just because religion makes gives people an excuse to form communities mm -hmm. and groups that doesn't mean it's a good thing obviously because well it, 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 he argues it, it, it served us well and it no, gave us large populations it increased charity and in-group cohesiveness yeah of but that's a downside to it which is out group you know you become a little bit less kind to people in the out group and of course no, but, I, but I, here's the thing i think if you join the kkk yeah. right you will get all of that as well, right? All of those yeah. benefits. Uh, yeah. If you join yeah. the KKK, you will feel some bond with your in-groups and you find a sense of charity, a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. Your uh, The members are protecting each other. You get all of that. Are we going to yeah. now say, well, charity? that means like charity to your fellow members? Like, yeah, yeah if you, like, for example, if you're a child <laughs> of your fellow KKK member, all That's of a sudden one they lost KKK them. donates to. No, no, but the no, fellow, no, you're right. I, Armin, no, they, they look it. after each other. But I'm just saying, just because you this it provides that service, yeah. well, we could provide that service in much healthier ways, right? Just because religion yeah, does that, I, that doesn't make I, it good. There's a there's a deeper reason for why religion uh, helped the evolutionary survival of of human beings, and uh, it, it definitely everything that you're talking about that John Hyde talks about is correct. Like the uh, the, the sense of community, bringing people, uh, you know, how pe people stick to each other and protect each other within a tribe. But on a personal level, too, religion is essentially superstition, right? So superstition is something that uh, played a part, a direct part in evolutionary survival. For instance, mm. you know, if you're out in the middle of the night in the bush, prehistoric times, taking a piss, right, taking a leak, and um, you just sense that you're like, oh, okay, is there a predator? behind the bush, you are more likely to survive if you follow your superstitions and get the hell out of there rather than use the rational mindset and go and explore. Right? So, so there's that level of that element of superstition and what where religion comes out of is, you know, the superstitious and defense mechanisms. Those things actually directly helped human beings survive. The question is, now that, you know, obviously later on they became, as Armin is saying, they did become politicized. They became ways of, because, you know, human beings turned into nations and empires. And when it comes to that point, then they become mass tools of manipulation, right? Yeah. By, by people, uh, by power structures. So um, but that's what it is. And then I, th I think that the mindset that Karen Armstrong has about this is one of those victim mindsets. Like this idea that you absolutely have to protect it. As someone said, yeah. I, in, in a way, she is a, she does have a bit of a victimhood mentality because even though she's not a nun anymore, even though she sounds in all, like she's read about this, she's written about it, the history of God, she sounds like a skeptic. Right? Yeah, isn't that She sounds funny? like someone who's very open herself, but she just has this dogged defense of this old. A captor that she had that she managed to escape. It's a form of lingering kind of Stockholm syndrome. Well, she I just know. Feels like she continues to have to defend it. I mean, it's incredible. Can I give my hypothesis? Again, mm -hmm. this is another theory. Armin, no, I can't. you can't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> of course you can. It's oh your podcast. <laughs> All right. All right. So, my, the, so I don't really think this is a, this is a hypothesis because I don't really know what's going on in their mind. And, but 
I don't think this is a defense of scripture. This is mostly an anti-militant atheist stance rather than more of a pro-scripture stance or pro-religion stance. These are people that are so triggered by militant atheists, right? And they are they hate us so much and they do, they find us so aggressive and hateful and these they write these books and these this kind of text articles and stuff mostly as a position against us rather than a way to defend scripture. That's what I think. But you could also see it in most of what uh, Armstrong says in a lot of uh, here, even here, but in a lot of other places as well. And Majid Nawaz does this as well. They compare us to the religious fundamentalists because we're reading the text and we're just taking the most they say they say we're taking it literally i say we're just looking at the most probable interpretation right the most probable interpretation that's what i'm looking at. that's what we're looking at right even the most but, plausible one right yeah the most plausible that, well, i'm that's willing to better, but, i'm willing but, to even acknowledge that there's more than one possible way to interpret it there's yeah, more of course. Like way to interpret Islam, and you know, like yeah, you, to any say text, Abu Bakr was really supposed to be the caliph. Like, like how do we know now, right? It's going to be some sort of judgment right, call. Listen, I could, I could take the mind comp, okay, and I could just re- See, I read it. As for sure, <laughs> right? No, <laughs> no, we we're never monetized, so <laughs> that's <laughs> we're never monetized. Uh, that's why that's why we love our patrons because <laughs> Facebook and YouTube hates us. Yeah. Uh, but I could honestly, I could take the mind comp and with a, just a little bit of an imagination uh, and creative thinking. I could interpret that book for you in the most loving, charitable way, right? I I could tell you, like, you know what? When you say, you know, uh, the Aryan, when we're talking about the Aryan race, we're not really necessarily talking about a certain group of people. We're ta- everybody has an Aryan within them that they could tap into. We're talking about your inner part. <laughs> yeah, and like even black Bring people have an Aryan. Bring out your inner Aryan. This is something that all humanity could tap into, and we could unite around a single identity. This is not about race. Hitler was not racist. You can, I could, I could just, I could make stuff up. I could just read the text. But uh, yeah, you can. There are certain texts in the Quran that is vague. You could do so many things with it. You could get so many things out of it, right? Well, but there, there are also texts in it that you could read it in different ways, but the most plausible reading of it seems pretty uh, horrid. But there are also texts that you really have to be dishonest. Like, the, for example, the wife-beating verse, or mm-hmm. like taking slaves in battle verse, right? Or mm-hmm. having people like you and me that just because we disagree with the book to be burned alive for eternity parts. Those parts... For you to deny those parts that, that that was actually what it meant to be, that you have to be really, really dishonest for you to come up with a different interpretation of at least those parts. I agree that yeah. there are some vaguer parts at, at, at least. So, but well, so here they, are, they don't have to necessarily come up with a better interpretation. They could just say it's not applicable today, right? I mean, they could say, I mean, Hamza Yusuf has said, I don't even want Hadood law. I don't think Hadood law makes sense in today's world because it's going to push more people away from Islam and we don't need to chop off hands and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, you can obviously as, you know, one of us skeptical people would can always ask him or Mufti Abu Layth, well, why would it make sense back then? Like, you know what I mean? Like slavery was always bad. But if they're saying, they're now saying that, you know, under that context, it was okay. And that's what people say about the Bible. They say like the, the Midianites slaughtering, was it the Israelites slaughtering the Midianites? 
um, genocide. You know, take the village and women. I mean, they'll say, well, that was allowed for one specific circumstance, which is odd. Doesn't make <laughs> sense. It's but... very odd, well, isn't it? You can say, like, you know, you know, I'm not, you can say, imagine I come to you, like, you know what? I'm not a, such a bad person. I only committed genocide one time a while back ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't support it anymore. So this that's what they're saying about their God. Yeah. So our, I, I want to. Our, yeah. our God used to, used to like genocide. <laughs> wow, no, great. He doesn't like it anymore. It was only for people back then, but it doesn't. Now everybody's cool. But, you know, so I wanted to quote. Karen Armstrong on a couple of other things. I mean, she herself said, uh, really great historical changes are not induced by the written word, but most accompanied by it. Uh, she also said that to change a thing means to recognize it first. Actually, those are both quotes from Mein Kampf that are actually quite <laughs> good quotes. So this just goes to show another quote from Mein Kampf. So I actually did this. I posted a whole bunch of these Mein Kampf quotes, and I, uh, I said that they were from Hazrat Ali. Right, because I have a yeah. lot of Shias. <laughs> Everyone's like, "Mashallah, you know, this beautiful." Okay, like to stuff like, "If the struggle for a philosophy is not led by heroes prepared to make sacrifices, <laughs> there will, in a short time, cease to be any warriors willing to die." You know, shit like that. It's, but it, good. It's, and people believe it because there are. You can take when it comes to interpretation, you can go anywhere. But I, what Armin say what you're going to say, and then I want to actually read out what I wrote. Because in I was slide. saying, I was making, I was, I was about to make a point a while back, but I never managed, managed to finish it. I was saying Majid Nawaz does this as well. I never managed to say what what is it that they're both doing. They're saying like, oh, so you're reading this text literally, and you're agreeing with the fundamentalists. And they're putting up like, oh, you militant atheists are basically the same as like ISIS because you're reading the same text and you're you're interpreting the text in the same way. So it, that's such a ridiculous to to group us with them because we agree on what the text says. It's such a ridiculous, you know, it's such a dishonest and cheap and you know disgusting way of reasoning, you know, arguing against us because you it's is as if like. If I if you say Hitler, uh, if you read Mein Kampf and they're like, "Wow, this is very racist," or like, "This is very anti-Jewish," and I'm like, "You know who else thought this was anti-Jewish? Hitler thought this is anti-Jewish," and you're agreeing with Hitler on the interpretation of Mein Kampf. So if you think Mein Kampf is bad, you're agreeing with Hitler on the interpretation of Mein Kampf. So you're the same as Hitler. You that's agree with the Nazis. The yeah. problem, you agree with the Nazis. That's yeah, that's congratulations. That... The problem is that the religious interpretation is far more, there's far more, you know, there's way more differences with religious interpretation than Mein Kampf. You don't have progressive Mein Kampfians. You know what I'm saying? Like it's. Yeah, because that's obviously ridiculous. And to me, it's as obviously ridiculous for religion. Okay. That's, you know, the, the great thing, the great thing about Nazism is that it was so purely evil. <laughs> oh, Jesus. There you go. This, this <laughs> thing just got taken off of YouTube. The great thing go. about Nazism. The great thing about it, Nazism. <laughs> it was, it was so purely evil that they couldn't use these vague verses to stay like vague, you know, interpretations to survive longer than one generation. That's Half right. a generation. Right. Half a generation. Right, it died so fast. As I, I know there's still neo Nazis out there, but it, there's no country in the world that is run by Nazi regime right now. Right, it, 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 it had the 
oh, it has its 15 minutes of fame and it died out because it was it didn't have that much to like wiggle around and come up with different interpretation. The you, problem you know who made the same point and is that we are going. No, I was saying the person who made the same point is a very progressive atheist, uh, Greta Christina. In one of her books, she actually made the same point that you're making, where she actually talked about how um, these uh, religions, right, the Abrahamic religions, are in a way uh, they're uh, they can potentially have a much longer lasting impact than political ideologies like Nazism and, and fascism. So, right. but when but I say Okay, when she's so she's very like w- one of those woke kinds. So when she says that, everybody are like, oh yeah, yeah. But when I say it, people are like, Armin is a Nazi apologist. Because- well, no, one of the reasons they say that is because you say that. So here's an interesting thing that, and and this is, I, I get it. I feel cringy about this too. But you have a lot of balls when you say this. you say that. Well, Islam and Nazism, you do that with Islam and Nazism. She says Abrahamic religions. Now, Islam is an Abrahamic religion, so she gets away with it because she says Abrahamic religions. But when you say Islam, you can't get away with it, even though both of you essentially make the same point. And granted, she does make it in a way that, uh, you know, she doesn't, you know, the way that you tweet stuff out. Yeah, there's a, there's a messaging architecture that, uh, that she uses that's different. But um, I, I want to, at this point, since we're talking about interpretations, I want to read out the tweet thread. It's not going to take too long, right? It's just a bunch of tweets uh, that I uh, said replied to Nicholas Kristoff. And to his credit, um, he took that thread, he posted it, and he said, uh, uh, he said, a critical take in the thread I review of Karen Armstrong's new book on scripture. And credit to him for actually posting my, um, uh, my opposing viewpoint. So here it is. This is what I wrote. I love Nicholas Kristoff. But this just goes to show that nothing terrifies believers more than someone reading their holy books literally, i.e. the way they're actually written. So apparently God can't explain himself as articulately as his human interpreters. The quote, the quote, then I talked about the quote about how, you know, the, um, uh, the, the scripture a bad name. This quote is especially astounding. What really gives scripture a bad name is the fact that it makes scientific claims, claims about nature the origin of the universe, the emergence of life, etc., that we know for a fact to be false. And then it claims to be, it claims to be absolute truth. So it is a strange double standard to be charitable to books that blatantly endorse misogyny, slavery, homophobia, and scientific untruths by dismissing them as metaphorical. Now, would you give my book that luxury? No, you would hold me accountable for every word I write. In other words, you would be holding me to a higher standard than God himself. Mm. When you're whitewashing verses that you allow that allow you to beat your wife, like 434 in the Quran, or that tell you to kill gay men, like Leviticus 20.13, you're not just interpreting, you're twisting and mutilating clear language to make it sound somehow morally palatable to yourself. That means you're not getting your morality from your religion, you already have it. Why are you clinging to the middleman then? So Karen Armstrong does have a point if she's looking at scripture as historically fascinating man-made works. And I really enjoy reading the Quran and the Bible now that I don't believe them to be supernaturally inspired writings because Mm. they help us learn about our world and its history. But believers don't read these holy books the same way. ISIS isn't quoting Karen Armstrong or some reformist Al-Azhar academic. They're quoting the Quran and Hadith directly. 
For them, Allah's direct word is more clear and credible than the interpretations of human beings who say, put down your Quran and listen to me. That's it. That's the end. That was My pretty, throat is that was pretty, dead that's, now. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. You know, I th- I think the whole the 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 dance that they're trying to dance here and the the the, the mental gymnastics that they're going through it is that they're trying to make it seem like the 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 only people that see Islam and Christianity as an actual guide to life that you just read and you follow are either just the fund you know the radicals and the militant atheists, but. I mean, all three of us have grew up in Muslim families, right? And we, and not just Muslim families, in Muslim societies, in Muslim countries, right? This is this this idea is mainstream. This is not oh. like a fringe thing, like oh, like most Muslims, like oh no, this is just supposed to inspire stuff. Even the Muslims and Christians that don't follow the Quran, don't read the Quran, don't read the Bible, don't follow it, you know, don't pray. They know the understanding is that they're supposed to be right. The understanding is that these are guides to life. This is these are God's laws. These are God's rules. These are the claims are claims about reality, and the commandments are meant to be followed. Even the ones that don't follow it have this understanding. So they, but they they put us like, oh, it's just a militant atheist and the the radicals. I think the Islamic radicals. I think like it. No, the, you are on the fringe. And the reason why you are on the fringe is because, and not just now, historically, for the past hundreds of years, people looked at these texts and they, the, the common understanding like, oh, we have, okay, this is what the universe is, and this is what we're meant to do. And if it was intended for something else, then it failed miserably. So the, the worst thing you can say about it is that it, it, it actually means what it seems like it means. The best thing you can say about it is that none of this thing was real. All of it was metaphorical, but it failed so miserably at trying to actually convey the message that it actually was meant to, that almost the vast majority of people got it wrong. So even in that situation, it's still a dangerous text because it's a dangerous text that is meant to be like, hey, hug each other and love each other. But everybody's reading it like, oh, I'm supposed to kill the infidels. So... Still dangerous, even if it was intended to do something else, right? Yeah, Ab- Abdullah. I uh, so I have to quite okay. You seem like you were, you were about to say something anyway, but I wanted to yeah. tack a question onto you. Go ahead, yeah, yeah, okay, go ahead. Say what you're going to say first. Well, I was I was going to say like, do you think that maybe part of the part of the thing that's going on here is that okay? Well, I I didn't grow up in a Muslim country, but I have lived in a Muslim country for a few months, and I and yes, you're very correct that most Muslims do believe this is a guidebook for humanity and this is how you're supposed to live your life, the Quran. Not necessarily every single thing in the Quran, but overall like that's the guidebook. But is it possible that maybe for Christians nowadays, you know, being you know another 600 years older than Islam, um, mm-hmm. you know, that and Judaism even older, that maybe it's become more of an identity thing for many Christians and Jews and much yes. less of uh yeah. you know like these are the laws i need to follow every day and so when someone's writing a book like ken armstrong's writing a book saying oh this you know woo woo stuff and jordan peterson's writing this woo woo stuff it's appealing to them because it's an identity thing it's no longer like i have to follow all of this it's just like i want to i want to appeal to this because i like this and it's my tradition you know it's this tribal thing again maybe right well, well i i yeah. 
Well, hold I, on. I think I, it's happening with Muslims can too. Can I hold on? No, I want to respond to this. I think this is something me and Ali discussed in the previous episode, and I think there's one version of this that I support, and the other version of this that I don't support, and they usually mix together as if they're the same thing. One right. of them is like the whole reform idea where you actually pretend like there's some deep knowledge or some hidden truth within the scripture if you just like solve the puzzle solve the enigma there's there's a whole layer of shit but if you actually clean it up maybe there's some golden nuggets in there that you could take out and maybe there's there's some truth to this maybe you could still hold the belief that's the whole reforms nonsense but the one that i support is the the secularizing the, the rituals the secularizing the rituals is like you could keep the culture, you could keep the practices, you could keep the identity, you could keep the community, you could keep the memories, the nostalgia, all of the things that makes it feel good. As long as you give rid of the belief, right? The belief in the in the truthfulness of the if if you understand that this is myth, this is fiction. This is not, these claims are not true. These commandments are not, are nonsense and not meant to be followed. You're treating it like a Harry Potter book or just an ancient literature book that you, you, then, then you could do whatever the fuck you want with it. People that enjoy Harry Potter, they can enjoy it and build clubs around it, build communities around it without actually believing that witchcraft is real. People that do, people that build communities and fan clubs around Star Wars and build an identity around being Star Wars fans, they can do that without actually believing that that world is real, right? Well, so even, I support how... I, I support secularizing rituals. I don't I agree with the reform. And the key difference is belief. If you get rid of the belief, you could keep all the good good stuff about it, right? Yeah. And so reform I have, keeps I, the belief. Yeah, go I think an even, a, an even a, a more closer example to home to what we're talking about is something like Christmas. And I, I was talking about this. Like so many non-Christians celebrate Christmas. Mm-hmm. I know Muslims celebrate Christmas. They have the Christmas tree and all this stuff. I have Christmas in my house, right? My whole family does it as well. Um, many of us are not believers. We don't really care. It's about shopping. It's about trees, Santa Claus, elves, North Pole, reindeer. Nothing to. None of that stuff was in the Middle East. They have reindeers and fucking snow in like the middle of Israel. I mean, nobody yet. It, it's it's alien to it. I mean, so all of these things. Easter, the resurrection. How did Easter, the bunnies and everything come? It happened because of the the goddess of uh, of uh, what was it? The goddess of reproduction or something? Of of fertility, goddess of fertility, of bunnies and eggs, right? So that's how it came up. It has nothing to do with the resurrection. Yep. It's an old pagan ritual. So we have these rituals have been secularized. They virtually have nothing to do with the religion anymore. So yes, a lot of it is about identity. And even with Muslims now, especially Muslims in the West, in the U.S. and Canada, I'm seeing increasingly it is more about an identity issue than it is well, about – I mean, I. But if you want to keep it as an identity issue, which you can do, because if I mean, again, you can enjoy religion the same way that you enjoy Mayan, uh, Mayan history and Mayan culture. You don't have to believe that human sacrifice is a good thing to be able to enjoy, you know, Mayan culture. Right. You could just study it, enjoy it without without endorsing any of its values. Right. But we have if you want to enjoy that, you have to defang it. Because you can't be like, oh, let's keep the culture and all of a sudden like smuggle in some of the belief there. Like, be like, oh, because the culture is so beautiful and the art is great and the churches look so good and the mosque looks, the azan sounds good or whatever. You're like, 
do all of that, but you have to make sure that somebody doesn't try to use that as a way to uh, show any defense of the values or any of the claims that religion is bringing in with, right? Mm -hmm. Just make sure you, that's why it's very important that if you're a cultural Christian or a cultural Jew or whatever diversion of that in Islam, which I don't think it yet exists, um, whatever, whatever that is, you I have, disagree. If you're, I know. Anyway. Hold on. Let me finish my point. You have to, your responsibility is to actively also fight the belief, so that you are not responsible for smuggling in the belief. You could be like a cultural Jewish. That if you're cultural Jewish, please consider uh, constantly saying that the Old Testament God is an evil monster. Right? Say that while being a cultural Jewish. Culture. You know. Anyways, go on. Uh, Abdullah. So this is a question I want to ask you before. Mm -hmm. So how long, how many years ago were you a Muslim? Uh, Four years ago. 2015 July, I I left Islam. So 2015, before 2015 July, you were, uh, so that's actually really recent. Yeah. Uh, The way, way, what I'm looking at, I I remember that's like the year I started writing the book. book. So so in 2015, just before that, when you were in it, you were probably very familiar. Did you go through a phase when you went through the whole Karen Armstrong kind of thing? No. Um, or and how did you process these verses in the Quran um, that that she's talking about and she's apologizing for, specifically the scientific untruths? The, well, well, the creation. Well, she myths specifically and, mentions okay. the violent. The you know finance. the violence uh, yeah that yeah. that stuff I think I didn't see it as applicable to my life in Canada um, I was I was what you would call an Islamist I wanted Islamic law because I was taught that this is the best thing for the world and I actually thought it would improve the world because it's God's law so I mean how could it not improve the world if you implement God's law that was my thinking in terms but of the what science was Islamist law to you. Like, wow. like it would include, you know, that, you know, punishing people for adultery. Like, I, I don't want to say exactly what ISIS is doing, but, you know, like strict Islamic law, like to, to the level of like, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, I never really I don't know if I really thought about the whole like stoning people to death and all that. But in I, my mind, that's actually those are the specifics that I actually want to ask you about. And I know this is, <laughs> if this is kind of uncomfortable or weird, then, then let me know. No, I, th- I think but, the, because people have asked me this before. How did you think about like the whole apostasy law? Because I ended up leaving Islam. And I, I think I justified it in the sense that I just said that, yeah, well, I was just repeating, I was just parroting what I was told, which was in an Islamic state, you would have a chance to repent and you don't have to do it publicly. The same crap that, Muslims mm. nowadays say that isn't well, really a little justification yeah, of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, we... <laughs> yeah, go and, ahead. and so in terms of the scientific verses, well, I didn't ha- I didn't see the contradictions. And once I did, like that's what blew the whole thing apart. And that's when I started to kind of see my way through Islam. And so there wasn't there wasn't this like this never happened to me, this Ken Armstrong or this like, you know, I, I know other ex-Muslims that went through that phase of becoming like like a progressive Muslim and this and that. To me, yeah, Islam was yeah. like Salafi Islam. And if you're not, like that was a proper Islam to me at the time. And so I just left it because I didn't see anything else as Islam. I didn't see this progressive stuff as... So when you said the scientific uh, thing, you kind of bought it before, but then you 
just immediately let it go and you just made your way out of it. What was it about it that you believed for the whole time? And yeah, I was scientifically illiterate. That was the problem. I, I, in my high school, you know, studying from high school, I focused on business and economics and I took, you know, like, like other stuff. I never looked into science. I never studied science. And so the most I did was my grade nine. And then after that, I just stopped stop like I didn't do any science after that so I didn't know anything about evolution I didn't know anything I just knew general stuff but being in IT what happened was I was always learning I was always growing myself and on top of it in 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 computer like in um, in software development you tend to have a lot of atheists too right you tend to have a lot of like people mm. that are very skeptical right and so I was surrounded by people that like like me and you know one of my friends who was an atheist or an agnostic he would say like I was surprised at the things you were posting on your Facebook about science and this and that, and the fact that you were also this religious Muslim. To him, those two things were contradicting. So, but eventually, what happened was the scientific literacy caught up with me, and I got mm. to the point where I started to realize that what I'm believing in it doesn't fit the reality of the world that I'm living in, and that's when I started to like kind of break through Islam because it's just I didn't have that knowledge. Now, the funny I find it strange when I find people that are like like doctors and lawyers and people that are so much smarter than me that actually like like chemists or like pharmacists that they understand biology Brain surgeons. and they 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 know evolution is true uh, yet they, they still they're not don't... they're not necessarily smarter than the, well like, what i mean is all they, the time. they have some massive cognitive dissonance where they know all of this stuff yeah. in to mm. such a level that i didn't know anything about evolution i learned about evolution after i left islam so i left islam and then i started to study about evolution i'm like wow this makes so much sense. I'm, I was I was blown away when I read Dawkins' book, The Selfish Gene, uh, Blind Watchmaker, and, and he makes it accessible. You don't need to be a scientifically back. You don't need a scientific background to read his books. So it blew me away, and I'm like, wow, this makes so much sense. Um, so yeah, that's that's basically what happened with me. I didn't have this kind of like shaky Islam phase. It just like I just left it. But by the way, you know when you the part that you mentioned, um, this is a common excuse Muslim give, like oh, killing apostates. How do you, how do you justify that? Because it's such a clear part of the hadith. This is not something that they could like. Again, one of those clear parts of scripture. Not, not it's not one of those parts that you could like read it in many different ways. Especially because it was repeated many times in the hadith that you're supposed to kill ex-Muslims like, like the three of us, right? But the excuse for that is like what it's supposed to be under the Islamic state, under a perfect Islam regime and they get the opportunity to uh, come back to islam but imagine if you say this back to them imagine like you know muslims should be executed but don't worry not Muslim right content. now it has to be in a perfect society muslims will be executed and if, before you think that's too cruel they will be given a chance to leave islam they will be given a chance to leave Islam. If they leave and Islam, repent. they will and repent. They will not <laughs> be executed. Days. Three days. But if they remain Muslim under the perfect regimes, all Muslims will be executed. No Muslim would. I don't know any Muslim that would be like, yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds this, reasonable. This, <laughs> this video is totally getting taken down from YouTube. <laughs> no, but like, justify like everybody would call that hateful. I guess if everybody recognizes that as hateful towards Muslims. How is Islam not recognized as a hateful religion? That what I what the, the garbage that I just said is by any reasonable person is 
recognized as absolutely hateful against Muslims, bigoted against Muslims. And if you apply the same standards to Islam, Islam becomes a hateful, bigoted ideology. See, I think yeah. the, the thing is, like, the fiqh of Islam is not necessarily static, right? Like, so when we talk about Islam, the Islamic belief or the aqidah, the belief in God, the belief in the Quran, you know, the 12 imams of his Shia, that's one thing. The fiqh or the rulings of Islam, that's something that's more, like, right. moldable, pliable, can change over time. It's not set in stone Central. to say. Like there's some like 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 I said, Hamza Yusuf, and not just Hamza Yusuf, but this wall. Anyone that's not Salafi basically says, well, for the most part, let's say they like they the 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 willing to openly say like Hamza Yusuf Sheikh bin Bayah openly says that apostasy law cannot be implemented today, right? So. So they're saying this has nothing to do with Islam either anymore. No, they're not saying. No, those are they're two saying, well, What they're saying is it's connected to treason and it has to have an Islamic state again. No, but and I don't know, again, I don't agree with that logic. But saying two different things. If the, first of all, the people that are saying cannot be applied today, they're fringe themselves, but fringe among the scholars. But they're saying it cannot be applied today is not the same as saying this is not Islam. Right, they they're, might saying, they're saying that we don't need this. This doesn't. This is not. This yeah, saying this is that, a part of Islam that was yeah. applicable for that time because it's a yeah, ruling, right? Yeah, yeah, but that, that doesn't mean it's not Islamic. This but is, they just, mainstream. Here's how I. Here's how I would like. If I was them, I would try to execute, uh, justify changing it. Where like, oh, you have to look at that ruling, and you have to look at the spirit of that ruling. The spirit of that ruling, given the context, was to serve this purpose. So you yeah. shouldn't just copy that ruling to today. You should yeah. try to see what purpose was it trying to achieve, and now try to see what today how it could actually like. This is the that's, kind of bullshit. That's what they're doing. That's exactly. Yeah, what I know. I know yeah. you have to see today what kind of what do we have to do today yeah. to achieve that purpose. But by saying that, they're saying that this is this was part of Islam. This yeah. is part of they don't have they're a problem saying it. that. So, yeah. but nobody says this had nothing to do with Islam. Yeah, they're yeah, just yeah. they're just yeah. trying to come up with some gymnastic to try to clean to, to wash you know to make it more accepting. But nobody says this has nothing to do with Islam. And I agree with you. There's parts of Islam. Again, there's a Islam has a core. Yeah. And then there's some core adjacent parts, and then there's a whole bunch of things around that, right? The 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 closer you get to the core, the harder, the more, the, the closer you're getting well, to set, is, right? the set in stone parts, yeah. right? Yeah. So this, you know, but but the farther you get away from it, if you get a little bit far away from that core, there's the fringe groups that are changing it, but most Muslims are not changing it. And then you, when you come even out more outside, then no, you can't find any two Muslims that agree with it, right? So, for example, if you go to the very, very, very core, the parts that no one is changing is, you know, Allah is God, Muhammad is his prophet, and Quran is the direct word of God. I mean, that's the pretty much the core. And that's already problematic. Okay, yeah. even if you every even the core, even if you don't want to accept the core adjacent people, that most Muslims do not change. Only the fringe group, like the Ahmadis or some other groups, are changing. Even if you don't include that, that that very fundamental core piece, that the you know the faith part, that you know that they they have divine authority that you're supposed to listen to, and these are his messages. Even if you have never read the Quran, even if you don't know what the fuck the Quran says, the fact that you believe that the Quran is a direct word of God is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous way of thinking. That you know, I don't know. What do you? Didn't you agree? Like the core itself 
Yeah, I, I, I agree that it, it's. Right. I, I agree that putting any book, elevating any book, and privileging the words in that book to the level above what anyone else is saying is a problem. Because if if I'm a if I'm a fair-minded person, I would look at Muhammad's words at the same level as anybody else. And if if there's something good in there, I have no problem taking it. But the problem is when we put it above everybody else and we say this is from God now, and that's where all the problems come, right? And that's right. where all the gymnastics come from as well, trying to make sense out of things that don't make sense. I just, I just think that people keep pointing out to the changing parts of religion as a way to defend religion. Like, hey, there's hope for it. And they don't point to the unchanging parts of religion, which is at the core of our, all our problems. You know what I mean? I, I do un, think the unchanging part of religion is the, is the source of all of our problems. Go on, sorry. And even the changing part, to be honest, because even the changing part always has to refer back to what Muhammad said and did, at least with Islam. I mean, Christianity has its own set of issues. But I do, I do believe that, you know, as, as well as apostasy growing, I feel like the non-religious Muslims are going to grow even more, right? People that just stay Muslim, but like they don't care about Islam. Yeah, I, I, and that's and that's a great thing, and I support that. You know, you know when you say non-religious Muslims are growing, and people say like, "Oh, so there's hope for Islam." No, if you're <laughs> saying the way that the way to progress is for Muslims to take Islam less seriously, to me that shows that Islam is the problem, right? Yeah. This is an admission that the problem is Islam. So, what does it mean for if more if more and more Muslims become non-religious and take Islam less seriously? That's a sign of progress. So, yeah. what's the problem then? Is taking Islam seriously? That's the problem. So, Islam is the source of all our all of this problem. You know what I mean? That's an admission that it's not the it's not Islam that is changing. It's Muslims that are changing. Yeah, Muslims are changing for the better by taking Islam less seriously. Well. I think Islam is changing too because Islam is the way you interpret the books, the primary texts, the Quran and the Sunnah, and the the way that you you create the religion is created by people, right. you know. So I, I I wouldn't I don't make that distinction to say Muslims are changing but not Islam because if Muslims right. change, Islam is changing too. Mus the, no, Muslims are changing faster than Islam. Muslims Muslims can change without Islam changing because. True. As I agree, both of them are changing. Both Muslims of them, are changing. yeah, exactly. Both Mo of them Muslims are changing. Yeah. Islam is changing as well. Yeah. Muslims yeah. are changing faster than Islam is changing. And yeah. Islam, yeah. and the fact is that Islam. It, hey, if Islam, if five hundred years from now, if Islam means like scientific understanding <laughs> and enlightenment values, I would like, hey, great, I love Islam. <laughs> but as as the, as what Islam means today, <laughs> as what the definition of Islam is today, it's a horrible, horrible idea. Ideology, right? But yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, technically this... anything. I, I mean, if you if you want to relabel a set of ideas and make it something else, if you say like, "Hey, um, Nazism means people tolerating each other with regardless of their ethnicity," then hey, I love Nazism, right? So, but if you change the so definition, if you, have, of you if you have to change the definition, you. you have to change the definition of something for it to all of a sudden become a good thing. That means what it means right now is a horrible thing. Yeah, I, and you're right, of course, all, I mean, not just Islam, but all religions are slow to change. It's, uh, you know, people change way faster than the religion is, which is why they get, the religion gets left behind in many cases. I, I remember uh, Yasir Qadi actually mentioned in one of the classes I went to, he wanted to use PowerPoint slides in the Jummah. And he was like scared of how Muslims would react 
Like that's how stagnant the religion is. You can't even use a visual aid without right. offending but, people. You know, like yeah. But that again, that's Muslims. That okay. So <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I defend Islam because sometimes Muslims. <laughs> some, yeah, no, I, I'm 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 fair to I'm fair to Islam. I, I criticize it when it's barbaric, but sometimes Muslims do some crazy shit. That is, I can't find any excuse for it in Islam. So sometimes they're like, you know, to be fair, that was just those Muslims. It's not Islam, right? <laughs> I mean, no, yeah. Sometimes, you know, for example, when when um, when they kill their daughter because she because she was raped, right? Honestly, I am, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 a huge anti-Islam critic. I, I think you guys know that, right? Yes, but then you're when huge I, Islam critic, you mean? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, anti-Islam. I'm an anti. Yeah, okay, Islam critic. Yeah, sure, 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 whatever. Too negative. Sorry, that was right. But it's um, a matter I'm an, of interpretation. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. But, <laughs> but but I mean, when I see that, I was like, you know what? I don't. Abdul, uh, uh, you tell me if I'm right or wrong on this. I haven't seen anything in Islam that excuses that. I haven't seen anything in the Quran or anything in any hadith. That supports you being to kill your daughter because she was raped, right? For the sake of honor family. So for me, I'm going to be like, in that situation, I'll, I'll go and defend Islam. I'm like, yeah, that wasn't Islamic at all. That was just those Muslims right there. Yeah, this is a very complicated question for me. FGM and honor killing because... FGM, there's some hadith for it though. I mean, okay, fine. But okay, let's stick to honor killing because that's... I mean... I th- I think it's a complicated. I think it's very complicated because I don't like Yerai Islam, and this is what Salafis say. They'll say no, nothing to do with Islam. But like, there's there's this toxic mix of misogyny and right. like it's somehow related. Do you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't find that it doesn't happen yeah. in liberal countries. This sort of honor killings because the whole idea of honor, like this hadith about honor, where Muhammad said that if I saw my wife in bed with another man i wouldn't no sorry a, a companion said if i saw my wife in bed with another man i would hit her with the sharp side of the sword and i wouldn't ask questions i wouldn't wait something like that right and muhammad said are you guys amazed at the jealousy of Sada, or whatever his name was the ghira the ghira is the jealous honor and he's like by allah i have more ghira than he does and allah has more ghira than i do so meaning like, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't say you should go and kill your wife if she's cheating. Yeah, and they also say, like, like, I wouldn't... He also kind of... Dis- it's it's weird. It's that, in the, do you know what I mean? It's, like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, like... That's not cool, but that's kind of cool in a kind of way, you know? But, I mean, <laughs> but they're also admitting that... They, Muhammad is also admitting that he himself wouldn't do that. But he's admiring it, but also admitting that he himself wouldn't do that. And technically... Te- again, I'm not defending it because this is all very horrible... But uh, technically, Islam is supposed to be following what Muhammad does, and Muhammad yeah, never no, no, does it's that. It's definitely not allowed. You can't right. do that. You would be. Pu- I think if you killed your daughter, you would be punished by death punished. because you've actually under taken- Islam, you would be punished by death if you kill your daughter. Exactly, for Exactly for- right. But yeah. but like even this whole bacha bazi, like I don't know. There's some weird shit happening in Muslim countries and so cultures. the indirect way that you could blame the indirect way that you could blame Islam for all of this is that. Two ways. First of all, the whole purity culture that Islam encourages yeah. might lead to that, an extreme version of that. And also the fact that the more religious a society is, the more, the less, you know, the poor, 
poorer ends up being because of you know all the costs to society for being religious, all the bad economic decisions, and all the other resources that are being wasted. And poorer societies tend to have more, you know, honor culture and stuff like that. So, two indirect ways that maybe Islam could be the, responsible for this. But at the end of the day, yeah, you could blame Islam a little bit, for, not a little bit, a lot for that. But Islam itself doesn't endorse it. So yeah. Let's just it's be true, fair. Yeah. Islam itself does not endorse that. And yeah, if we well, want to, I, I want to, when I attack Islam, I want to make sure that I'm attacking it where it deserves to be attacked. So I'll admit that this is not on Islam. Sorry, this is not on Islam. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think what you're saying about Bachabazi, right? That the Afghan yeah. practice of Playing essentially with pedophilia with young boys, which yeah. is what. Not pedophilia. Is, uh, child, you see that same kind of thing. Bachabazi is. Not yeah, it's child, child molestation. Child molestation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Child molestation. Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, and you see the same thing in the Catholic Church, right? It's Catholic Church rampant, bachabazi in the in the Catholic Church. That's, that's what they do. And <laughs> I uh, of it, you know, like they, that. well, it is right. It's the same thing. So. <laughs> yeah. Now the thing is that neither Catholicism nor Islam endorses this. The closest thing Islam does is it promises young boys in heaven, as mm. well. Like it yeah. actually, you know how it. People say, "Well, what was for the women?" It says young boys. Well, apparently those young boys are also for the men. So, <laughs> see, yeah, so, see, I don't agree yeah. with that. I don't agree with that because you don't agree with that not, interpretation. Not, yeah, because it's not mentioned. You in and Karen Armstrong. Wait, hold okay, on. Fine. No, he, no, he's right. Because, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, he's right because he never says you you get to fuck them. It yeah, just says it doesn't. It, it doesn't. tells. Yeah, it tells you that they're your servant. Yeah. But why do they have to be pretty? Yeah. I, I was saying that Islam, I'm saying what you guys are saying. I mean, it doesn't endorse it. That's the closest it gets. Yeah. yeah. Right? Young boys, young, beautiful boys. Yeah. So now the thing is that, you know, do you have, do, neither Islam nor Catholicism endorse like this child molestation of young boys. However, yeah. uh, they do create, <coughs> excuse me, a, a society where, Men and women are segregated, where homosexuality isn't isn't allowed, where uh, with with other adults, where um, everything there's immense amounts of sexual repression. And you're putting and you're giving to ch your children to people with a position of undeserved trusted authority yeah. that they could that they could take advantage of. And basically, if you want to be a child molester, this is the best place to do it, right? Setting it up. I mean, you're essentially in the Catholic Church. You have officialized celibacy. In Islam, okay. you know, in Muslim communities, uh, it's it's unofficial, but celibacy basically you can't have sex before marriage. You can't have sex outside of marriage, and there is a confusion. So there's this is an interesting thing. I saw this in Pakistan a whole lot. There's this in this crossroads between sort of Western culture and Islamic culture. So Islamic culture says as soon as you hit puberty, whatever, you get married and you start having sex because if you don't, then it'll distract you from everything else in life and so on. <laughs> so it encourages early marriage for everybody, yeah. boys and girls, right? Yeah. Uh, Western culture says that, okay, first, you know, you get your shit together, you get your university degree, all of this stuff. And then when you're older, you can make your own salary. When you're able to do it, then, you know, you go ahead and you get together with a partner. But you can have premarital sex the whole time. That's accepted in Western culture. Now, in, in Pakistan, what they did was they did a combination of these two, which is fucking crazy. Because now what they're doing is they want to stay celibate before marriage, 
But at the same time, they're trying to get their college degrees and getting the first jobs and their checks and saving up before they can get married. So now they're 28, 29, and they're celibate and they're virgins. And there's nothing more scary than a 29-year-old virgin. I mean, just absolutely <laughs> the worst fucking thing you can have. So you have this entire nation of just sexually frustrated guys and girls just walking around. And, you know, often, like, it's like what Eddie Murphy said about the busboys. It's like, you know, you come to my house, they'll fuck anything. The, the fish will stop swimming, as, you know, when you come into. Right. And it's just, it, 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 there is a, in fact, even with this jihad stuff, a lot of, I mean, if you notice that one of the key ways that they get 14, 15-year-olds, like people at the height of their puberty in these uh, gender-segregated and sex-segregated societies <clears throat> like Afghanistan to uh, to recruit them to do suicide bombings, as they tell them when there's 72 girls, is you're going to get pussy yeah. in heaven. I mean, that's essentially I, what we, they say. We never experienced and, uh, that, by the way, well, in Iran. That was never a major promise. Even during the Iran Iraq war, that was not a major promise. I was actually shocked when I I was actually shocked to find that out later. Um, what do you mean a major promise? Even in Hezbollah and stuff? Not not Hezbollah. Hezbollah is not in Iran. They're they're in Lebanon. Uh, in in Iran, like the whole idea of going to war and stuff, like people, the, the excitement was meeting Muhammad and Hussein, not seventy two oh. not seventy two virgins. Yeah, but it's like, all the. Uh, I mean, like yeah, but I'm just, I'm not. Yeah, I know, I know that that's a major marketing tactic in a lot of Sunni Muslims. I'm just saying in Iran, it was like being a martyr was hugely mar- you know, promoted like as the best thing ever without main dimension of the seventy-two version. Sure, but is, I mean, but just generally, I think that. If you get, uh, if you get rid of a lot of, I, I think if you. Get I wasn't denying what that, you're saying, by the way. I was just. Oh, giving no, I know, you, I know, yeah, I know that. Yeah. Uh, but if you, if you do get rid of a lot of this uh, sort of the sexual incentives of the afterlife, mm-hmm. um, and, or if you allow people to just get laid, I, I think that you would get rid of many of the uh, tendencies to extremism. Yeah. I think I know why in That's Iran true. it was never mentioned, because Iran has a very, you know, women in Iran are a little bit more uh, powerful, I guess, than other Islamic <laughs> countries. So this is why, for example, like Islam is, you know, very pro-polygamy. But Iran, most Iranian societies never tolerated that because I think the women would not tolerate that, right? And I think the whole idea of, hey, the reward being 72 virgins wouldn't sit well with most Iranian women. And I think that that's why that was never promoted that heavily in Iran because, you know, women in Iran, you know, they they do... They do not take that, you know, they do not tolerate much nonsense. But anyways, let me, um, can, yeah, I, I can, add... I, can I get to the article? But go on, sorry. Oh, After this, can I what... go to the article? Yeah, I'll be quick. Just what, just to add what Ali said. Yeah, it's, it's very true that young single men are one of the biggest destabilizing forces in a society. Stephen Pinker wrote about that in his book. Um, um, what was his book called now? Um, his big... <laughs> Famous book, you though. Anyways, um, and and it's true. Like, is like no? better oh, angels of our nature. In better angels, yeah. In better angels, he thought about this. How like you know marriage and you know all of that actually women in general stabilize a society because young men are unstable. They, they they all of this energy and sexual frustration comes out and they join gangs and easy easy victims to to get into the army or to get involved in jihad. 
and uh, and and what you said has been mentioned in actual counterterrorism studies that actual research shows that this actually works. Like people actually do this. Right? And this is a very this is an important incentive to young men. Yeah. To be fair to young men, again, I don't want to be like I don't want to be I don't want us to be like this white knighting kind of like cringy. <gasps> Uh, woke p- people. To be fair, like uh, if it's if if it's completely okay to say men are h- horrible at th- you know are worse at some things, uh, like men are on average more violent. They're more, um, you know, they're more many horrible things. But they're also but hold on. Let me just finish this thought, please. But they're also better at many things compared to women, right? And women have many flaws that are is not okay to say. Like on average, women have certain flaws. Uh, more than men that we, you are not allowed to say even though for example if I say uh, men are on average more violent and they commit the most crimes those are facts those are facts but nobody would um, say, see that as intolerant and if you if I say women it has been wo- proven that women are better at management that's also, I mean, technically, I don't know if it has been 100% proven, but it has been shown that women are better at management. And if you say that, that, that is true, that there's some studies that suggest that, and nobody will fight against you for saying that. But if I now folk point to you that men are better at something, a lot of people are, get triggered. And if I f- point out that an average woman are worse at on something, a lot of people get triggered. So I just want to s- put that out there so that we don't become... Um, just woke things that yeah, are like, hey, men, gonna... men bad, men bad, women great. Way yeah, uh, uh, we're looking no, at us. We're also, so... <laughs> if you overall look at it, and again, we're not going to belabor this point too much, but if you overall look at it, the stuff that men are better at uh, is generally like visual spatial orientation. Uh, there's uh, a less uh, neuroticism, things like that, but. Overall, so when it comes wanna, to you, want to be woke, Ellie, but no, men are better. At- <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to be woke. Woke, you know what woke is? Woke is when you say that, oh, men and women are equal, they're the same, they're both, they're balance each other out, and all that stuff. No, that's the, what the, it the is. Extreme, extreme woke is more women are better than men. That's no, extreme. No, 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 but no, 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 but no. men are also more um, competitive. We're saying women are better. We're saying, we're not saying women are better than men or men are better than women. Right, but, but there is certain like. Can the article really quick? Because yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's go back to that. Okay, to the article. So this this is a part of the article I really wanted to respond to before we finish this podcast. Uh, this is or she says take militant passages from the Quran like this one. Kill them whenever you encounter them. Early Muslims considered this obsolete because it applied narrowly to enemies in a particular conflict. Uh, but more recently, Muslims, Muslim extremists have interpreted such passages to justify murder, while Islamophobes cite them to excuse religious bigotry. By the way, by Islamophobes... pull my hair out. Yes. Yeah, by Islamophobes, like they talk me about us, I think. That's what they mean, right? But... I don't take that's Islamophobes. That's fucking horse shit, right? That's such fucking horse shit. Because early Muslims... First of all, Early Muslims considered this obsolete because it applied narrowly to enemies in, in particular conflict. Like for somebody, that, who is saying this? The article, the, the Karen is saying this or the person that wrote the article? Because Karen. if Karen is saying this, this is such a dishonest way. As a Isn't she a, supposed to be a historian? Because anybody, anybody looking at Islamic history, you can see that these passages were taken even if they weren't meant to be used for jihad, 
even if you if even if I'm charitable to you and tell you like, okay, fine, God meant something else. They were taken advantage of by, by Muslims to wage jihad on non-believers right from the very fucking beginning, right during Muhammad's life, after Muhammad, right, right after Muhammad did, died. Like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, how could you even say that? Like, anybody that studies Islamic history, what, whether the parts that is canon by Muslims, even if they happen or didn't happen, the early Islamic history, we don't even know how much of it is true. But the parts that is canon in Islam, these verses were taken advantage of. But the parts that we know is true, like the Abbasid periods at least, or the late Umayyad periods, these verses were always taken advantage of. How dishonest can you... You're either ignorant about history, which is an amazing thing to say about a so-called historian, or you're being so dishonest and manipulative, and you're just banking on the fact that most people reading this New York Times article don't know Islamic history, and they're just going to take your word for it. Like, where the fuck is that from? Another thing. Now, let's say what the true intention of these verses were, right? Let's say, let's be charitable, right? Let's say, like, hey... Go kill the unbelievers, kill the kafirun, do this to them, do that to them. They, you know, whatever, I kill them, but hey, forgive them if they, you know, do this. You know, oh, so nice. So you don't have to kill them all the time. But anyways, you keep, you keep referring to them as kafirun, the kafirun, kafirun, kill the kafirun. And now you're saying that, hey, this is, we're just talking about that battle or this battle or it's supposed to be not, it's not talking about all non-believers. It was just talking about Muhammad's enemies at that time. Imagine if you come up, if, if like do a role reversal and see like if the Muslims will tolerate this, right? Imagine if you had like a army general going to battle with ISIS, right? And when when talking strategy or talking to fellow generals or talking to the soldiers on the day before the attack, he he came out to say like, okay, we need to. You know, we're going to surround the Muslims and then we're going to kill the Muslims and we're not going to let any of these Muslims get the, get away. You know, these motherfucking Muslims, people are like, people listening to this general, they were like, listen, why you keep saying Muslims? These are just like, a, we're not killing Muslims because they're Muslims. These are just the ISIS fighters that we're attacking, right? You keep referring to them as Muslims as if we're attacking them because they're Muslims. Or it seems like you have a problem with just Muslims in general, right? Like if if it was, if you're talking about Muhammad, specific, those specific enemies of Muhammad, the fact that you keep referring to them as kafirun, to me suggests that the problem with them is that they're unbelievers, Right. You're saying kill the non-believers. You're identifying them as non-believers. Right. So this is to me, it's horse. Imagine if like so, there's this person that says uh, a politician, like say Bernie Sanders, right, says something that I disagree with. Right. I really much disagree with. And I say instead of saying like, hey, Bernie Sanders said this and that I come and says, this Jew said this, and the Jew went out and said it ridiculous like this. And we need to fight this Jew, and we shouldn't let this Jew become a president. Like, like people are like, it seems like you have a problem with Jews. Like, no, I'm talking about Bernie Sanders. Like, yeah, but you're constantly referring to him as Jew. To me, he's sounding like an anti-Semite. So it's pretty obvious that if you keep talking about the enemies that we're supposed to go kill... In this battle, if you keep talking about, oh, kill the kafirun, kill the non-believers, I, you have an issue with non-believers. Like, it's pretty obvious to me about, like, 
it's it's amazing to me that the people that constantly talk about tone, you know, their tone and the way you know dog whistles and tone, tone policing people, they they're so charitable when it comes to reading the Quran. Even though if you just say something in the slight way that could be raised, you know, that could be interpreted racist or anti-woman or anti-gay, like oh, dog whistle, dog whistle. But then the, you have a verse that says, "Hell, oh, go, go kill the kafirun," and they're so charitable, they're like oh, it's just talking about those people at that battle. So, it's just such hypocrisy. Go on. I have something to say. So, uh, well, first thing is when I when I read someone calling people Islamophobes, I take the word for its intended meaning, not its literal, like what the word says. And and those are basically bigots against Islam. That's how I see it. So if someone's being anti-Muslim bigot, that's what I take as Islamophobe. I like I wouldn't consider myself an Islamophobe. Not because because I don't like Islam, maybe I even hate Islam, but I'm not an Islamophobe because I'm not an anti-Muslim bigot. And that's what the word actually means. So that's that's the first thing. And I know some people. I, I mean, the word. It, but, but but also point yeah, that people shouldn't use the word Islam. Yeah, it conflates. Unfortunately, the the word is kind of conflating and stuff, and it it kind of conflates criticism of Islam just from the word Islamophobia rather than anti-Muslim bigotry. And we all agree that you should just when people say anti-Muslim bigots, the, I don't know about you because you say things in a much nicer way than uh, than I do, but they are they are talking about me, you know, when they say, no, I know... they're not, they're not anti-Muslim bigot. Anti-Muslim bigots means... That. You think, you, I, I know, I agree, I'm not an yeah. anti-Muslim bigot. Yeah. Like, right. just... They call us that all the time. They even yeah, I have been called an Islamophobe nice too sometimes, but but for the most part, I, I think the true intention of the word is not, wouldn't be applied to someone that's criticizing the religion. Um, but anyways, about 191, um, I, ha I did look it up. And I mean, if you read the whole verse and kill them wherever you overtake them and expel them from wherever you have expelled you, wherever they have expelled you, and fitna is worse than killing, and do not fight them at Masjid al-Haram until they fight you there. But if they fight you, then kill them. Such is the recompense of the disbelievers. So yeah, I looked that up verse, the that verse is not the worst one. So oh, I agree with she quoted, right? Kill them wherever you yeah, find them. It's that, that was so okay. So she didn't. She's saying militant, militant passages like this one, and she picks a passage that is not really militant, right? Well, I that mean, one is. That one's quoted. Kill them wherever you find them. That's that, is, that is the one that she's quoting. But to be fair, that is one of the least militant verses in the Quran, even though it has kill in it, because yeah. it's mostly about self-defense. Well, that the, one specifically as well is is very much for Muhammad's time, because it's talking specifically about Mecca, and it's saying, you know, don't fight them in the haram, in the sacred area, but if they fight you there, you can fight them. And That and, one specifically, yes. And but, I mean, but, yeah. but talking about the ones that, you know, this is, this is the one that a lot of anti-Islam uh, pe people will use and they shouldn't use this one because this is the, one of the least problematic verses. It's clearly it's clearly meant to be a self-defense message, right? I, I but, don't know if that's the one though. Uh, no, but but I'm just saying she's talking about militant passages in the Quran. No, but but did, the, uh, did the article actually say that it was Surah 2 verse 191? It quoted the first half of the verse. It, Kill them wherever you find them. There's another verse uh, about uh, that, about the polytheists. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are other verses that are more problematic, and it refers to all the enemies as kafirun. And I just think, like, if you if you want to apply the same standard that you oh. have, the rest of us, like then... nine nine five is is uh, yes. when the sacred month. So I'm, that's what I'm trying to say, Armin. 
Sura nine five also says, "Kill them wherever you find them," and it says that about the polytheists. So it says, "And when the sacred months have passed, yeah. they kill the polytheists wherever you find them, capture them and besiege them, and sit and wait for them at every place of ambush. Yeah, but yeah, if yeah. they should repent, uh, repent in the sense—I mean, again, the apologists are gonna have field day with this—but <laughs> repent means that they convert and they say, we're not gonna be polytheists anymore.' Yeah. Uh, and establish prayer and give zakah, right? Then yeah. you let and, them go. So if you get a Hindu. It's, it's the Quran says that you have to fight until all religion is a uh, lost religion. Basically, all all religion is Islam. But but the point is that yeah. you could I, I can I mean if you give me enough time I can find excuses for all of these verses to make them look good, all of them. Right? Mm-hmm. The, again, the verse the the first verse that Abdullah mentioned that's I don't even disagree with that verse. That that was pretty much self defense one. Mm-hmm. But if you actually if you talk about other militant verses in the Quran. They're pretty clearly anti-Kafirun, right? And yeah. yeah, you can come up with excuses for it, but these excuses would not be tolerated if it was coming out of my mouth or if it was coming out of Ali's mouth, if it was coming out of, out of Abdullah's mouth, if it was being said about the Muslims, if it was being said about the Jews. These people, if we said the same things, in fact, Ali Rizwi has a really good quote. It says, if this, you know, uh, if if the, if you just replace all the verses in the Quran, that the, the way it talks about non-believers, if you just replace it and put um, put Muslims instead, nobody would tolerate. He said heads would roll. Literally, I'll, I'll actually say the quote. It's it's <clears throat> if any book talked about Muslims the way the Quran talks about disbelievers, heads would roll. Literally, yeah. <laughs> And, and but uh, well, I mean, heads shouldn't roll, but just if, that people would just um, be calling us bigots justifiably. If we talked about Muslims the way the Quran talks about us, we would be called bigots, and in that scenario, that would be justified. That would be yeah. right now we're called bigots, and that's yeah. not justified. <laughs> but but in that scenario, it would be justified. Yeah, I right. Agree. Yeah, of right? Yeah, I agree. Okay. Yeah. Good sir. <laughs> I keep. I hey. By the way, I did a good job not interrupting. You know, you can see like me struggling when you guys are talking. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I never realized I shouldn't interrupt. Ah, like, so pa- patrons, you should like see. I'm really. It's really difficult for me. Okay, you have no. This is like torture, but I'm trying. It's a tough. It's a tough thing. I know, but I. I, I think you're doing fine. I don't. I don't have an issue with it. If I want to well, jump in, I overpower you and I jump in. But a lot of times, I just usually you say really good things, and most of the time you say uh-huh. stuff that I was going to say anyway. So, what do you think? Yeah, Abdullah, can what you try to get? You... I'm going to try. I'm going to say uh, Abdullah should try to get Karen Armstrong on his channel because I think we're a bit of too militant for Karen Armstrong to ever come on our podcast. But maybe because Abdullah is, you know, if you watch Abdullah's videos, he's just so nice. Like, I, you know, I, I just love listening to you. By the way, go check out his channel. He's very, he's very knowledgeable and he has a video on almost every topic in Islam. Uh, but you, when you just listen to it, it's really hard. I know why people hate, might hate Abdullah. A lot of Muslims hate Abdullah because it's so hard to hate him, right? It's just so, like, people, when you're anti Islam, Muslims want to make it easy for people to hate you as like this like evil person and Abdullah the way he talks he's just so nice and he's just so like has this tone that is very passive he just makes it very hard for people to hate on him and that's that just annoys the shit out of people so I love well, it's also, you're, Abdullah you're you're very compassionate 
It's like, yeah. you know, what yeah. you're saying, you're very consistent about things. I mean, you don't have an agenda and going after the agenda. You do have, you know, uh, that, like, you know I, what you're I, saying? What? I was thinking, I was just thinking this recently when I was thinking of Hassan Radwan, that sincere, like, activists that don't have an agenda are the biggest threat to these systems yeah. of dogma. Wait, what do you mean it, don't right. have an agenda? I have an agenda. Like, like, you know what I mean. Like, like yeah, you have an, like, you, you're just doing you it. You all have an agenda. People. That's what hidden, I mean. You mean yeah. hidden agenda. You have an ulterior agenda. That's what hidden, I mean. Okay, okay, okay. Like, so. your agenda is all out in the open. Like, you're, you're doing okay. this because you're doing it. Not, not okay. for the others. So transparent system. agenda is fine, but yeah, hidden. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. But it's, okay. it's kind of like, I think I know what you're it's saying. It's a selfless. I see this. Right? I see this among a lot of the reform crowd yeah. sometimes because so if you're a reform person and then you're a lot of times they get a lot of funding from places where like conservative think tanks and things like that. So they end up going towards that side and then suddenly you have all these reformists who are associated with uh, U.S. conservatives and you're like, what? How did that happen? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, Why exactly. is it? And, and not that there's, if you want to be associated with U.S. conservatives, feel free. Like, it's yeah. not about that. It's just a question of why they're doing it. So when you're doing it all the time and you're actually getting benefits from doing it that are beyond just getting the message that you wanted to get out in the first place, then it's a problem. I think one advantage that uh, we have is that um, we're going to say what we think. The, the ideas come first. I didn't grow up all my whole life in Saudi Arabia and Pakistan to come here. And, you know, get into long discussions about gender pronouns and, uh -huh. you know, it's, it's not something I'm interested in. I, I don't want to suddenly start defending or demonizing it. You know, like how you talked about how Surah 2191, how yeah. both of you are defending it, right, yeah. in a way. And yeah. you're acknowledging Karen Armstrong's point on that. You're acknowledging that that book, The History mm. of God, was a good one. Yeah. I, if you were part of that other team and if you had an ulterior motive you wouldn't do that you would try uh, to stay you'd try to stay more political i think that that's what um abdullah's point is right yes. at least my... yeah that's, that's and, and hassan radwan is is one of those guys right? yeah exactly right. yeah. by the way i'm gonna link to the article the new york times article in the description so you guys if you want to go read it go read it um and also link to uh, abdullah's channel Go yes. and subscribe. Absolutely. Go and subscribe yeah, to the channel. Yes, yes, please. Always a pleasure. Also, to the tweet thread. Huh? Oh, Always by the way, I, good discussion. And yeah. also, uh, Abdullah. By the way, one thing. Uh, every once in a while, that we're in trouble, Abdullah makes a video and comes to our defense, and he <laughs> takes. Yes, yeah, so thank say, you. You say, made a visual, <laughs> a video for when we got banned. We yeah. Did, so, a secular jihadist on Twitter has been suspended several times. And they always come back to us and say it was an algorithm. So there's a bunch of people mass reporting us. But still, it's just we got a message the last time we were suspended that, no, we did we made appealed it. And then the re response to the appeal came in that, you know, no, the appeal was rejected. That, you know, yeah. this doesn't, it's not consistent. The decision is final. And then they gave us back. To, you know, it's, it's very strange because, like, so they told us you're, you're banned from Twitter. I'm like, oh, shit. Then I appealed it. And I've submitted the appeal, and then after after a couple of hours, it, actually very fast, not not a couple of hours, within within yeah. very soon after, they their response came that said like, nope, sorry, the decision is final and the case is closed, and you don't you're not going to get your Twitter account. And then within less than two hours after that, our account came back. 
<laughs> like, who's running the show there? It's so <laughs> weird. But again, yeah. it was thanks to people like Abdullah that we got our Twitter back, I think. So thank you, thank you, Abdullah. This is a real, I really like how we support each other and it just feels so, it just makes warms. It makes, it makes the whole losing your Twitter account worth it because <laughs> it just brings us closer to each other every time that happens. <laughs> By the way, follow yeah, us on Twitter and follow kind of Abdullah on Twitter happen. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, yeah, I said follow, follow those links and I'd... follow us on Twitter, follow Abdullah on Twitter as well. But go ahead. Yeah, so uh, no, and uh, the same thing happened the blocking of the Twitter thing happened with Yasmin Muhammad and happened with Armin oh, yeah. as well. And speaking of which, Yasmin Muhammad will be on back here on December yeah. 6th. So and by the way, Yasmin guys... also defended our show on, on our Twitter account. She came out and right. said like, retweeted us when we wanted our account back. So thank you, yeah. Yasmin. And that is a that is a very special show because Yasmin, as you know, uh, for the very first year, like she was one of the founding uh, people for this podcast, and she was with us for a year, doing every episode. And uh, now she's got a new book out and everything, so it's gonna be pretty cool to have her back. This is very. This is actually. This is actually goes back to what you guys were saying, which is I think shows a level of maturity that a lot of dishonest people don't have. I openly criticize Yasmin on a few of her positions uh, in the past few months. And Yasmin also finds something that I did very, very, uh, you know, attack something I said, uh, I did um, and supported, uh, which we could get back to, you know, if we want to be or not. But uh, we we did that. We, we, we went after each other on Twitter for a while. But then when we lost our account... Yasmin came into our defense to get our Twitter account back because we didn't take, even though we passionately might have disagreed with each other on a couple of positions, we that we didn't take it personally, right? When we lost our account, she went in and tried to help us get our account back, which again I think a lot of this a lot of people that you were you guys were mentioning wouldn't do that. With you know they would just you know they take the disagreements to a more personal level. I think I don't know. Yeah. And we've all had, like, I've, I've had disagreements with Yasmin, too. It's the same thing. It, this whole thing is much bigger than that. A lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of people reading uh, the, the the stuff on social media, they see, okay, well, they're having arguments, but it doesn't really work out that way. I mean, at the end of the day, the we most of us realize that, you know, what we're talking about and what we're after is actually much bigger than our individual disagreements. And we also recognize that individual disagreements are good, right? Right. You know, if everybody thought the same, it's not a, it, that only happens in small cults. It's when you when it's a, it's a symptom of growth. It's a symptom that has become a very big movement that you have so much ideological diversity, even right. within the ex-Muslim or the secular uh, the Muslim movement. So I think I think that's pretty cool. And we I, I've had disagreements with both of you guys. Too, <laughs> so. Yeah, I so. actually have some disagreements with Abdullah. I think I had with him before on burning the Quran. And also, I think I have a disagreement with Abdullah, which we could discuss later, on um, banning hijab in, you know, government mm. workplaces. So I think I think Abdullah is against that. I, yeah. I, I, I used to be against that, but now, based on p- more people explaining the reasoning behind it, now I support it. So, but we could discuss that later. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I'm I'm probably against it too, but I'd love to have a discussion. Be open to hearing. You say Abdullah, any last words? Don't say Allahu Akbar. <laughs> Why not bad. say it? Allahu well, Akbar. Those are not good last words. If that's the last <laughs> thing you hear before you, <laughs> anyway. 
in no it was good it was a good show thanks for thanks for having me on there um good discussion and uh i i think talking about religion in general to be honest is a is a i was gonna say a little bit harder i'm gonna say a lot harder than just mm. talking about islam like when we're talking about islam i'm like in my comfort zone and i can i can speak freely and openly and I know what I'm saying is true when mm. we start talking about religion in general and evolution and it gets much tougher it's just mm. much more complicated and you know I, I'm just more worried about misspeaking but like it's an informal discussion so at the end of the day yeah. I mean we're just throwing out thoughts and let people decide what makes sense and what doesn't make sense um, yeah. and you know we didn't say anything bad about anyone so I mean I, I find I don't the want... opposite actually I find it that when I'm like in the sense that I and this isn't because of a knowledge thing, but I, I find it easier to talk about all religion in general, like some of the oh, basic yeah? things about faith, about evidence, about science uh -huh. versus faith and everything like that. In fact, the next episode of this podcast is going to be a lecture I did at the Arab American National Museum in Detroit with Muslimish on Islam and science. So uh -huh. I feel very comfortable talking about religion uh, in general. Uh, with Islam, the problem is that whenever I talk about it, I do... I personally try to take care in the way I talk about it because I want to really appeal to my the people on my side and to get them like all of the apologists like people like Karen Armstrong and yeah, try wow. to get them to think a different way and use their own talking points that, to get them there that is I, a that is a that's important to me I know it's not something that needs to be done I think a, it, no. there's a lot to be said for just saying it as it is and but, you actually um, get a bigger audience if you say it as it is, including the Muslims that people claim to be sensitive. I actually, I, I'm more. Well, I'm not about I've, I have more audience. faith in. I have more quote unquote faith in Muslims than a lot of people do because people are like, oh, if you talk about Muslims, Islamic, this Muslims would not listen to you. And I'm like, yeah, I actually talk to Muslims <laughs> a lot, and not uh, most of them are not the sensitive snowflakes that oh, you make. Yeah, but I, I'm not I mean, saying you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, but no, anyways, no, can I can I also respond to something right. I've done? Can I no, say let, let me. I, I just want to. I just want to uh, say this about what you said. Yeah. Because when you're talking about Muslims, I'm the same forget. way. If uh, if I'm only talking to Muslims, then I have very comfortable about saying it as uh, it is. I don't care. Yeah. But the the thing is, on on my like my readership and my following has a lot of like really. I guess really prominent liberal yeah. people, especially like in showbiz and stuff like oh, that, wow. who I know are I know that they're staunch atheists. I know that they secretly they understand, they sympathize with what I'm saying, but they're looking for a way to talk about it, right? I'm not going to name names, and I uh, so th that's why I am a little bit uh, okay, more cautious. I think it's a good strategy. To be honest, it's a good strategy. You have you have yeah. a certain appeal, a certain audience, so you need to work on that. Audience. Yeah, every, all, all of us have our own audience. Exactly. But but I was actually trying to say before Ali and and didn't let me finish was that you know what oh Abdullah <laughs> can't wait like, eh? go ahead I am <laughs> always the guy who doesn't let anybody finish just that. no no it's okay it's okay I'm just teasing you don't worry Ali um, no I, the reason why I pointed that is not because I'm upset with you Ali I'm just pointing out to the patrons that are angry with me <laughs> you know this is not this is not meant to be an attack on you this is just meant to be like patrons not keeping count so that they're I not you know hurt my feelings and as a male born in the 70s I only have four of them like gassy sleepy happy I think there's one but by the way Abdullah you hurt, did you, you feel, hurt hold on no, Ali shut up uh, Abdullah did you feel like uh, the, you you were able to talk enough like all those things you wanted to say during this episode before somebody accuses me of not letting our guest speak did you have yeah, enough time no, to I, say, I say enough yeah yeah okay, okay good i, so, I would say like i would say like try to shorten the amount of things you say at once so that you can kind of I, respond that, to some of those things 
That's why I'm speaking so fast because I have a lot to say and <laughs> I've just wanted to make sure. That's a, okay. That's, that's why I, I want to say everything so fast so that I, 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 yeah. Anyway. But guys, Abdullah said, Abdullah said that um, he is not comfortable talking about certain things because he might be wrong about them. I actually, Abdullah, my strategy, I don't worry about that, you know, because. You know, if I want to, if I feel like, oh, I'm very, very certain about this, so I'm going to put it out there as content. But these things I'm only like 80% or 90% sure about, so maybe I shouldn't put it out there. I'm actually more interested in putting those out there so that people can correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> right? Because, yeah. you know, it's not that big of a harm. You put that like, hey, this is my opinion. And people are like, no, Armin, you're being an idiot. This is why you're wrong. I'm like, mm, maybe yes, maybe no. I'll look into it and maybe I change my position. And I think. I rely on my our, on my community and I rely on our fans and followers yeah. to help me learn. And that's why I'm okay with putting the stuff that could be wrong out there because oh. it, it starts a discussion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, and as long as uh, Nice Mangoes screenshots and retweets you, uh, you <laughs> made it. You made it. You're there. No, no, no. She's, actually, she's so too, the, the bigger people that attack you, that really means that you made it if they attack you. So I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I just, I, uh, yeah, that's a, that's another thing. Anyway, yeah. guys, everybody, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for listening to this, Abdullah. Thank you very much. Uh, and let's have you back on as a, because Abdullah's actually just joined us here. The reason we're talking over him all the time is uh, because, first of all, we know him, we're comfortable with him. And the second thing is he was just sort of like a guest kind of uh, joining in the conversation. But he wa- but we want to have you back on and just see how things have been. It's been over a year since you were on the podcast before. So it'd be kind of cool to just talk to you and see how everything's been going in the last That's year or so. So. So it'll right. be fun. So yeah, thanks and for coming. And by the way, you always have a, you always. I, I'm going to speak as I'm going to assume Ali agrees with this, but you always have an open invitation to secular jihadists. If you ever want to come, just come up and say time. something. So like, guys, I want to invite myself to another episode, and I want to talk about this. You're always you always have an open invitation here. Awesome. So. Yeah, let me know. Thanks. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. We will see you next time. Thank you. We'll stay on. The secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends, write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions, or head over to secularjihadists.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you. Thank <laughs> you.